This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 164. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. Today I am joined by Scott Robert Lim. Hey Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Well, Scott has been a professional photographer for the last 15 years and does incredible uh, photography, especially his portrait work, and has done classes on Creative Live, who's been an advertiser on our podcast, and does workshops all the all over the world. So we're excited to have you here on the show. Well, we have a bunch of questions that have come in uh, over the over the last, well, really just a couple hours. The the pace on our Improved Photography Facebook group is, is uh, really picking up with questions over there. Well, the first question is from Radhika Dixit, uh, who asks, why not use spot metering all the time? What's the advantage of switching to a valuative, center-weighted, etc.? Wouldn't you just get the same effect by spot metering um, a point in the shot that is equal to 18% gray? What kind of, of uh, metering mode do you use most of the time, Scott? You know, I used to... I, I usually am in uh, evaluative mode. I, I don't use spot metering a lot, but I guess it depends, you know, on what you're shooting. You know, if you're shooting a large landscape with different types of exposures in it, uh, usually evaluative is pretty good. But if you're kind of shooting a portrait and you're zooming in, let's say, just on the tone of the skin or so forth, then I think spot will work best then too. Yeah, I I almost always shoot in in matrix mode is what Nikon calls it or evaluative is yeah. what Canon calls it. But the idea of this mode if you if you aren't familiar with it for the listeners is this really uses all of the power of the camera. What it's doing is it's analyzing the image uh, at the brightness levels of each area of the photo. And then it compares that brightness profile. You know, there's a large white spot in the middle, uh, or let's say there's a, you know, it's bright on the top, dark on the bottom, really, really bright spot in the sky. And it has a database of different brightness profiles in the camera that it's going to run that against and it's going to determine the proper exposure for the photo based on that brightness profile and it's really really smart i I mean they're very very good um and so that's the way that i like to shoot as well yeah and they do it the camera figures that it out all within like a split second which is pretty amazing um and i think you know i because we're in the digital age um, I don't think it's, uh, you know, you can always look and chimp and look at the back of your screen and make an adjustment if you need to. Uh, but I, 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 yeah, I'm always in that matrix mode myself. Now, a lot of photographers don't. In fact, our own Nick Page, I know, is always shooting. Not, I don't know if he always shoots in spot, but very often he's shooting in spot metering. And that works differently. It takes away all the brains of the camera. And all that really does is wherever you're putting your focus point, it's getting the 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 exposure of that area and it's and it's selecting the the overall exposure for the whole image based on that one spot hence the name right and yeah. that has some advantages for example if we're shooting a bride let's say i want to shoot just a headshot when i spot meter on the bride's face the exposure is going to be right for the face and we don't care what the background does if the background blows out that's fine a lot of times but then we zoom out a little bit and now we see a large white wedding dress in the picture and that large white wedding dress changes the exposure most importantly it changes the exposure of the face right and we don't want to change the exposure for the face we we want to leave that face the proper exposure so that's an example of a time where spot metering really does have uh, some advantages but i find that it has more disadvantages than it has advantages in most situations for example let's get let's say you get your focus point a little bit to the right and it hits the the white skin if she has white (laughs) skin uh, or a little bit to the left and now we hit the dark pupil and the the exposure Exposure is constantly going to change because we've removed all the intelligence from the camera. And another thing is uh, when I focus, I often focus on a, a contrasty tone. Mm-hmm. Like uh, because your camera will focus faster. Let's say if you're putting that focus point right in between the hairline and the skin. 
And you're right. And if you actually, if you're in spot metering and you kind of click on the hair, which could be darker than the skin, you're going to get a completely different metering than hitting the skin. Right. And so you're going to be kind of back and forth. I, I tried using spot metering uh, early in my career. I just found that it was just like kind of like all over the map. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of stuck with evaluative and that kind of works for me. But everybody's got their own system and what they shoot, you know. So it depends on if you're shooting a lot of landscapes, evaluative is great, you know. But maybe you're, you know, shooting the studio and you're set on one specific type of lighting situation and that might work better for you. Yeah, and I this is very similar. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, uh, Nick and I had a, a pretty fun debate about whether we should be um, – uh, whether we should be shooting in aperture priority most of the time or manual mode most of the time. And this is actually a very similar debate. Yes. The answer really doesn't matter. You, either <laughs> way works. I know professional photographers who do it both ways. It's just what you want the camera to do for you and what you want to do yourself. Both of them have their own merits. But uh, the thing that I hear, that I heard from you, I think, Scott, and that I hear constantly from professionals is you kind of pick one and you choose it. I don't know a lot of photographers. In fact, I don't know any professional photographers that like are regularly changing this depending on the situation, which would be fine too. I just, I haven't met anybody that does it that way. You just kind of get the way that you prefer to do it and you kind of stick with that. Is that true for you? Yeah, you know, there's no perfect solution. But you pick one that works best for you and you practice at it. And so you know that when you get into a particular situation, maybe your method is not quite as accurate and then you know how to adjust for it. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you really kind of just experiment, see what works best for you and then stick with it and master that. That's right. Well, Griffin Mecklenburg also asked, um, well, he's, he said he's been shooting for seriously for about three months and he doesn't have a whole lot of money to buy a better computer monitor to do his post-processing uh, and he doesn't have great color vision. And so he's hoping that he could get a color calibrator for his monitor to get better color since he doesn't have great color um vision you know I, I think color calibration is great it's definitely something that serious photographers should do if you're printing especially um, but if you have poor color vision I, I don't really see this as helping you uh, really much at all here so what a color calibrator is doing uh, is it takes your screen and all screens show brightness and color differently. They'll show blacks a little bit blacker, whites a little bit whiter. They'll show reds as a little bit different shade than another monitor. Every monitor has its own personality. And the color calibrator is just trying to remove that personality from the monitor. This is especially true because monitors today are getting brighter and brighter and brighter and more and more vivid and more and more glossy. Why? Because when you look through the, the computer store and you're looking at the, at the monitors, that looks pretty to have this super <laughs> saturated, super bright, super contrasty screen. But then you go to do your photo editing on it and you edit your photo, it looks just right and you send it to the printer. Well, the printer uh, is going to print this on a piece of paper that's not super bright, not super contrasty, not super vivid, and you get the, the print back and it looks just bad. And that's why you need to color, color calibrate your screen. Um, I don't think this is really going to help you much. If you just have bad color vision, I don't really see this as being something that's going to assist you really much in that. Uh, but it is something you should do if you're having problem with your printing uh, or if you're not getting the brightness right of your photos. You know, you, you get, uh, you take your picture you're getting the brightness how you want it, and then you share it with others, and you look on their computer, and it looks terrible. Uh, often, that's because of a brightness problem, and a color calibration device can help you with that. Uh, what would you say on this one, Scott? Well, I think there's so many factors when it comes to getting prints made. To um, another thing is the color space that you're, um, you know, using. So you have to know what uh, color space your printer is using, which is usually sRGB, I think. Yeah, almost but always. But if you're editing in Adobe, you know, uh, and it could be quite different. So 
Um, you have to make sure your space is matched. And then also what I recommend is actually getting some prints made uh, beforehand and look at them. And so you can kind of compare and see where your printer is. Uh, because it could be, you know, if you get a lot of prints made and let's say it's for a client and you've never tested it, that could be a big mistake and cost you a lot of money. So it's a good idea to try to get your monitor calibrated as best as you can and then actually go to that printer uh, and get some prints made. If you use a professional printer, there, you know, because uh, each of the labs are a little bit different and sometimes depending on the chemicals and so forth, the colors from the print could look quite different. But professional printers have to, they're a little bit more attentive of being right on, you know, so uh, there, there's, a, there's great consistency with them. So, you know, when you get it dialed in, whatever it, look, it looks like on your monitor, you can guarantee that that's the print that you're going to get back. And that's very important. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and you're exactly right. If you, if you, you know, color calibrate, you do everything right, and you take your photos to Walmart, you take your photos to Walgreens, uh, it's it's going to be a disaster 100% of the time. And I can tell you that because I've tested it. Um, many of you will remember Improved Photography did a print test where we got three photos of different sizes, one black and white, one color, you know, really getting a varying... Uh, uh, things in, in what we were printing and we took it to over 20 different labs and we had them print it online and, and local labs and I mean the difference between wow. the quality of the photos was shocking like it was horrific from some of the printers and price really had no bearing on it even with some of the online labs in fact what we found is the cheapest lab in our test also had the very highest quality which was pro dpi and the most expensive which was i can't remember if it was snapfish or shutterfly had the worst quality <laughs> of them all uh, it's just interesting so after well, you get your your screen calibrated you get your file Go to a good lab. I, yeah, I don't really I, care which one it is, but get a good, you know, go to Nations, go to WHCC, go to, uh, uh, go to a, a good quality, a good quality printer. The one. Bay Photo, yeah. I mean, that's the reason why they call it Pro DPI, yeah. <laughs> because it's for pros. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's one thing that I have never liked about about their service is when you sign up for Pro DPI, it has a little box that you have to enter the URL of your studio, um, uh, and you have to say you're a professional photographer. And the reason they did that is they don't. They don't want the pro, the pro market to feel like they're being undercut by having this pro service that's available to clients who could just get the files from the photographer and then print them. I think that's kind of a weird reasoning. Uh, but I talked to the owners of the company and they said, anybody can join Pro DPI, even if you're just a, a casual photographer. So when you get to that box on the signup screen, just blow right past it and ignore it. Yeah. Anyway, but they were bought out by WHCC a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 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 All right, the next question comes from John Heslop, who said, I was wondering if it made a different which HDMI cables I use to hook up my monitor from the desktop. Uh, short answer is no. Some cables, it absolutely matters what uh, the quality of the cable that you choose. Uh, I do a lot of professional audio doing this podcast and video. And let me tell you, when it comes to audio cables, uh, analog audio cables, which is most audio cables, it really matters what cable you choose. There can be a dramatic difference in the quality of audio depending on the cable. But that's an analog sim uh signal that it's that it's passing along digital signals they don't care what it right. is it can be the cheap cable it can be the expensive cable you know if you go to to best buy and you spend 45 dollars on one of those ridiculously expensive monster cables that's gold plated and stuff the image <laughs> is going to look identical to the cheap mono price uh, cable as well so when it comes to a digital cable such as an hdmi cable just buy the cheap one. Uh, it's just not going not going to make a difference. Now, there are certainly things you want to pay attention to when you're buying a cable, like the quality of it, if it's just gonna gonna wear out, if the connector's not snug, etc. Uh, you know, build quality issues. But in terms of is my screen gonna look as good? Yes, it is. It's a digital signal. It's the signal's either there 
It got all the bits that it needed to make the signal or it didn't and there won't be a signal. There's not like varying degrees of quality there. It's just ones or zeros, you know? So it either gets the signal or it doesn't. Um, and so, yeah, you should be fine. Well, Scott, you wanted to talk a little bit on this episode about mirrorless cameras. I know you have been shooting uh, the Sony A7 series. Uh, what is it that, that's attracting you to that series? You know, uh, I've been shooting for about 15 years, but also, you know, during my junior high years, which is like in the 70s. Don't say the date. Don't say the date. (laughs) I'm an old dude. But, you know, so there's hasn't been a lot of things that have like where I've said, wow, this is revolutionary or this has changed my photography a lot, you know, Uh, but switching over to mirrorless has really, really made a big difference in my photography. And I can see more and more photographers um, switching over. Um, have, actually, do you use a mirrorless camera or do you have one? Yeah, I do. I shoot the the Fuji X-T1 right now. And today is March 1st as we're recording. By the time you guys listen to this, March 3, Amazon is going to be delivering my Fuji X-Pro2. And hey, I'm not going to lie. I'm giddy like a schoolgirl. <laughs> Yahoo! <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I, I like these new mirrorless cameras. Like a lot of people are like, what's the deal with the mirrorless camera? I mean, first of all, they kind of look at it and they see the size of it and that turns them on, you know. So they are a very small format. And when you're like me, uh, I do a lot of my jobs. My weddings were a lot um, destination weddings, you know. And the more gear I could get, because you're limited on the amount of uh, weight and so forth you could pack. Uh, When you're limited on that, you know, and you've got these very small cameras, man, I can pack so much in such a smaller area. Um, it's great for the uh, travel photographer and for the photographer who does a lot of destination work. And just, you know, the weight alone, you know, I've been doing wedding photography for 15 years and you got two bodies on you with big lenses and you could have a flash on top of that, that, and you wear that around for 12 hours a day. And, that could really wear on your back. So um, I love the smaller format in regards to just weight and carrying two bodies um, is, is really beneficial from a health perspective. Um, and, you know, the size is great too. So size does matter. I love that small size. And what I think one of the most revolutionary things that has changed, I, I feel that it's changed my photography and made me about 30, maybe even 40% more efficient is the live view. Do you use your camera in live view? Yeah, a lot. As when I'm shooting landscapes, I should say, I, I almost never use live view when I'm doing portraits, but I, but definitely when I'm, when I'm doing landscapes, I do use live view. But you know, when you're shooting a mirrorless camera, you're really shooting in live view all of the time because you're looking at at a you know the uh, the digital viewfinder in the camera and so it's it's kind of like shooting live view all the time even though it's not exactly the same um because it's not exactly the same because of the type of focus that we're going to to use we, we can get into this but but yes i i do use live view yeah, you know, and I find that's really cha- – well, for those of you who don't really understand what live view is, live view is being able to see your exposure before you take the picture. <laughs> okay, so let's say you're shooting a, a complex situation. Let's say the bride is by a window and there's some bright light coming in. And so your meter is kind of like mm, trying to figure out what you want to do, you know, do you want to focus on the landscape that well, what's outside the window and expose that? Or do you want to expose, you know, the bride, which is darker? And, or, and so with my live view, I can, you know, as I change my shutter or my aperture or my ISO or my white balance, I see exactly what it's going to be before I take the picture. And so now when I get into these complex lighting situations, I'm so much more efficient. I don't have to like click it, look at it, and then adjust. You know, I can just see it 
right before my eyes. I can change my shutter or my aperture. If I want kind of a semi-silhouette and not a you know real strong silhouette, I can just fine-tune it exactly the way I want that exposure and just bam, nail it right on the spot. And that has dramatically uh, changed my shooting style um, in regards to efficiency. And I love that. And the things about uh, the newer mirrorless cameras, like uh, when I look through the viewfinder, it's like looking through a, a mini computer. Um, and so it's great in regards to not having to worry about glare and things like that. Uh, whereas I can, when I take the picture, I can set my camera so that image pops up right into my viewfinder and I can see uh, exactly the photo that I took, uh, which is very handy. And so I, I just love the live view and it, it's made me a lot faster in regards to shooting in um, complex lighting situations. And another thing is, w another feature that I love on these uh, mirrorless cameras that I have, the Sony one, is actually, and a lot, a lot of other cameras have this, but uh, the tilt screen. Um, and listen, I'm a uh, short Asian guy. I'm like 5'7", <laughs> and I take a lot of portraits. And when you're a portrait photographer, you realize that shooting down on your subject uh, is probably most of the time most pleasing. And so when you're, you know, vertically challenged, shooting down on your subject sometimes can be a problem if you can't sit them down or if they're a lot taller than you. But because I use the tilt screen and the live view, I can look at the back of my camera and I can, and I can raise it over my head um, and I can be six foot if I want to at that point. And it, and it just uh, creates better portraits by being able to adjust the height. And also, because I can tilt the screen up, I could put the camera on the ground and I can easily flip the screen up so I can look at it so I don't have to get on my stomach to shoot at lower angles. I find that has made my compositions a lot more interesting because I'm being able to now put the subject well above the horizon and it kind of gives my subjects a more kind of hero effect. And I find that that is also a very pleasing feature. Now, does the Fuji, do they have tilt screens too? I think they do, right? I think all of them do. Uh, well, yes, yes and no. The, the Fuji X-T1 um, that I'm using right now does have a tilting LCD screen. It's not our. It's not articulating. It's just tilting, which is a little right. bit of a bummer. I would love to see it articulating as well. However, the new Fuji X Pro Two is not, and ah, that just drives me crazy that they would cut that out on the more expensive new model. I just, I like. There are a lot of things I don't understand from the camera manufacturers, but why every single camera in the lineup doesn't have an articulating LCD screen just blows my mind. Every photographer wants it, but uh, we just don't seem to be getting I, it. You, right. It's kind of like once <sighs> you start using it, it's like you get so addicted to it, you, you can't go back, you know? And that's what I felt like with the tilt screen. I'm just like, man, I can't imagine not having one now. And, you know, it's just improving my compositions a lot. Oh, because yeah. I'm, you know, it's no problem to, you know, before it's like, well, shoot, I'd have to get on the knees to make that a little bit better. Do I really want to get down yep. on my knees or whatever? And sometimes when you're shooting that wedding and it becomes the 11th hour, you get a little bit tired. You go, ah, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, when they make it easy to get the compositions that you want with this kill screen, I was like, oh, man, that's just a godsend for me. Yeah, so the, I really love that. The first time that I used a, a camera with a tilting LCD screen was actually the Nikon D750. Um, yeah. Everybody else talked about them. And, you know, I'd, I'd played with them on some of the, you know, Rebels and stuff like that. But but that was the first time that I owned a camera and was going to, you know, be using it. Um, and it totally changed it. It was before the China trip two years ago. And it, it was just incredible. I mean, I would hold the camera and just, you know, barely above the water and get a yeah. unique perspective of just the water and then the fishermen on, on the raft, you know, or uh, we'd be in a crowd of people and I just kind of wanted to get the busy city around and I could tilt it down and just 
you know, stick the camera up above my head and, and I could see right. what was actually going on. And I, f I also found that I had much more creative, unique perspectives once, uh, once I, I had a camera with that tilting LCD. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I like with the uh, Sony cameras, they have built-in stabilization inside the body. So no matter what lens I put on there, um, I have image stabilization, which is kind of nice. And so that's a great feature. Um, and, you know, the thing about mirrorless cameras, uh, they will actually, with an adapter, fit almost any 35-millimeter full-frame um, lens. And because of the, sc the screen that I look through through my viewfinder is digital, they can do a lot of things uh, that a mirror system can't do uh, because uh, I don't know if you ever used focus peaking before. Have you yeah. used focus peaking? Yeah. And this is one of the greatest things. So what focus peaking does is it outlines whatever's in focus. And so as you're turning to focus your lens, you can visually see what's in focus and what's out of focus by a little outline. And you can color that outline, you know, green or yellow or red or whatever color you want to do it. And it's a very easy way to visually see if you're in focus with a manual lens. Now, why this is so cool is like I told you, I started photography in the 70s. Um, I could actually go buy, let's say, a Canon FD lens, you know, uh, which is, was made a long time ago that uh, not a lot of people uh, care about a lot of these manual lenses. So you can find them at a very good discount um, and still use them on pretty much any mirrorless system with an adapter, uh, just putting them slightly farther away from the camera body. Um, and then when you use focus peaking, uh, manually focusing is not such a huge deal. Yeah, normally it's, manually focusing would just be a deal breaker for me on, <laughs> on, a, on anything except a night photography lens. No, I'm not doing it. Autofocus is so much more accurate. But with that focus peaking, it's really just not a big deal uh, to manually focus because you can just instantly see what's in focus and what's not in focus just by looking through the viewfinder. So have you um, bought any manual lenses or are you still using autofocus lenses on your mirrorless? No, I use only the autofocus lenses. Uh, I will say one thing to be... Uh, to at least be aware of if you're buying these manual lenses to use on, on a modern camera is not all film lenses, in fact, most film lenses did not have the same resolution that, uh, that these modern cameras really demand. Now, it may seem a little bit odd to talk about the resolution of a lens. Usually... <laughs> when we talk about resolution, we're talking about how many pixels are in the sensor. Well, your your lens uh, doesn't have that kind of, you know, it has this many pixels. But resolution is is a term that we use when we're talking about sharpness that, that uh, refers to how fine of a detail that lens can render. So uh, just as an example, let's take say we're taking a picture of the grain on wood and... Uh, if we have a very sharp lens, it's going to show every little fiber on a little splinter in that wood, but a lens that is not as sharp, cannot resolve as much detail, doesn't have as high of a resolution, is just going to show a little stick sticking up there. It won't show the little splinters uh, coming out of that little thing. So the issue is that when we're using these older film lenses, many of them, I don't know if I can say most, but a lot of them uh, don't have enough resolution to match your you know, 36, 40 megapixel sensor like we're seeing a lot. <laughs> and so you get this 40, 40.2 megapixel camera, and now you're using a lens that can really only resolve, let's say, 15 megapixels. And so even though your file is going to come out identical, it's still going to be the same size of file. Uh, when you actually zoom in, the detail isn't there. And so that's something to be aware. I would, I, I'm definitely not saying you shouldn't do this. It's a great option. Right. There are a lot of inexpensive lenses that make available for you. Uh, but it is something to be aware of. Uh, before you make that purchase? I think for me, you know, it's just a chance to try out different lenses without breaking the bank, you know. So, you know, uh, 
like for example if you if just if you were a 35 millimeter shooter you can buy one of those lenses and try it out and um, see if you like it and then you know for me if like if I like a particular lens length and and um, you know a, a particular lens that I like I usually do go ahead and buy the more expensive version of it but I just like the fact that uh, mirrorless allows you to buy these $30, $40 lenses. And you know what? I've made some pretty darn good images off these things, especially maybe because I, I shoot a lot of times, you know, portraits where I'm, I like that shallow depth of field. So maybe the resolution is quite not as critical. Uh, but um, I found that I found a really good uh, success from some of these lenses and uh, people actually couldn't really tell that I, you know, they're quite surprised when I say, oh, yeah, that's a $40 lens. Mm -hmm. And I've had some published in magazines and so forth, too. So, But you are right. Uh, you know, you got to watch out the resolution and test it out first. Uh, but anyways... Um, those are a few things that I I love about uh, the mirrorless systems and and why it's kind of changed my photography so much, um, and I just wanted to share with everybody kind of the things that I've learned along the way using it. Very cool. Well, we want to get on and talk uh, a little bit about the new DJI Phantom 4 that was just announced today, March 1st, and also a little bit about talent, which I wish Nick Page was on here to talk about, um, but before we do that, we want to take a second and thank some of our sponsors. Our, the first company that has made the Improved Photography Podcast possible is Zenfolio. Zenfolio is a great company for getting your photography website live on the web. You have unlimited storage and backup. So you can put on as many photos as you want uh, on, on the service. Uh, Zenfolio hosts more than 1.3 billion b -b 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 billion photos uh, <laughs> on Zenfolio website. Uh, that unlimited storage is a really excellent uh, uh, reason to choose Zenfolio. No coding necessary as you start your, your website. It's really easy to migrate over if you have a website on another service. And what I think is probably the coolest thing that Zenfolio offers um, in this area for your photography portfolio is very simple e-commerce. I've always been jealous of Jeff Harmon's website, uh, who's one of the hosts of, of the Improved Photography, of the Photo Taco podcast. Um, he has great e-commerce set up on his website and it's built into Zenfolio. Uh, you know, if you want to just post photos and, and make it possible for people to just very easily make a purchase of the file and download it, like it's built in and it really works uh, quite quite well. So that's that's one thing that I love about Zenfolio. You can start a free trial today with no credit card required. When you decide to sign up for Zenfolio, make sure to use the offer code IMPROVE to get 30% off your subscription and to show your support of the Improved Photography Podcast. So that's offer code IMPROVE at Zenfolio.com. Gives you 30% off your subscription. And That's next, a great deal. Yeah, it really is a great deal. And next is Audible. Audible is something that I can advertise <laughs> so so easily. Uh, I have been an Audible fan for many, many years. In fact, I was just looking at my Audible library, and I must have uh, 40 books that I've purchased on Audible just <laughs> in the last six months. Uh, I love Audible because I am addicted to audio content. That's why I love podcasting so much. I love to read, uh, but I am a little bit just too... Um, I don't know if I'm ADD or, or just short attention span. I don't like to just sit down on the couch uh, with a book and spend two <laughs> hours. But man, you know every what? time I'm, if I'm driving, if I'm shopping, if I'm, you know, out on a shoot sometimes, I'm listening to podcasts and listening to books. Are you, Scott? Yeah, you know, what? when I start to read a book, I actually fall asleep. <laughs> For some reason, it just calms me down and I, you know, two pages in, boom, I'm asleep. But if I'm on Audible and I'm listening to a book, I can listen to it and I can also do something at the same time and I can be more productive. So that's why I love Audible also. Yeah, today, I the book that I'm reading right now is Les Miserables that I love the movie. Uh, and I just got the unabridged 60-hour version. Uh, and it was just one credit, which is, I think they're about 10 bucks a credit. Uh, but anyway, it, it's 
I, I love Audible. I'm just reading tons and tons of them. Uh, so it's definitely something to check out. If you haven't uh, got an Audible subscription already, uh, then I would encourage you to, to go to audible.com. Um, and they're offering a free 30-day trial membership. So you go to audible.com slash improve. That's audible.com slash improve, and they'll start your free trial, um, and that'll uh, show your support for improved photography, and you'll get your free 30-day trial of Audible uh, to start listening to a book right away. I love Audible. hope you'll uh, give it a try. After I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I wanted to keep learning and 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 just gaining as much knowledge about everything as possible. Uh, and Audible was the place that I want that I went to, and I've been a loyal customer for a long time. So check out audible.com slash improve. All right, in this uh, second half of the, of the podcast, we wanted to talk a little bit about talent. Uh, something that I often hear Nick uh, saying is that talent doesn't really exist, that talent is a myth. And I wish he was on here to, to debate with me, but Nick, you're going to have to listen and, and yell in your earbuds <laughs> at this one. Um, but I, I, I guess as I watch thousands of people learning photography, I have to acknowledge that some photographers just have a leg up. You know, we always talk about some people that have an eye for photography and I, I, I can't ignore the fact that that's just true. I think I a couple years ago there was a, a photographer named Elena Shumilova, uh, who's a Russian photographer, if I remember right, and she was I mean producing these amazingly amazingly beautiful photos uh, of her kids and. And so I, I decided, hey, I, I want to get her on the podcast. And so I, I called her, got in contact with her, and there was a little bit too much of a, of a language barrier. Um, and so we couldn't air the episode, but it was just really interesting talking to her. I said, well, how long have you, uh, you know, been shooting? And I expected her to say several years. Uh, and I, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but she said, oh, yeah, I got my camera like six months ago. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it's just that's, crazy that's not fair. because I mean, she was producing work that any professional photographer, any professional photographer would be jealous of. I mean, just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous photos. And the reason that I, that I uh, wanted to bring that up is to talk a little bit about the progress that we all have to make as we learn photography. There are going to be some people uh, who pick up a camera and while they may, st may still have, all of us have to learn certain technical things to get the sharpest possible photo, to get the depth of field just right, to, to dial in our post-processing. Some people just have that eye for photography. And I actually think it's encouraging to acknowledge it, to acknowledge that as we're all learning photography. Uh, I think it's a little bit discouraging when you just say, you're not working hard enough uh, to learn photography. Some people just have a leg up. They're just a little bit better at, from their starting place in photography. However, I do think that photography is a learnable skill for almost everyone. That if we put in the time, we can develop that eye. That's me. I didn't have an, an eye for photography just starting out. And I spent hundreds of hours on 500px on google images on pixoto on whatever website you want to use to look at photo and i had to learn that eye for what makes that epic incredible shot uh, and so i think photography is a learnable skill but i do think some people just have an innate talent for it and i think it's encouraging to to acknowledge that and and recognize that we're all coming from a little bit different place as we start what do you think about that scott yeah, you know, I, I run across this subject a lot because I've mentored hundreds of photographers and I've seen some that are, are really talented and not make it and some not so talented and make it. And so I've seen it all over the map. And you know what I feel, what the necessary kind of characteristic that you need is, I kind of feel that you have to have passion. Because what passion does is because whether we're talented or not, we're going to go through our photography journey and we're going to reach a point where we're going to fail and we're going to get a bit discouraged. And what passion allows you to do is to keep pushing on when the rewards of your efforts are not that great or disappointing. 
And I think that's the true test, you know. It's like when you can kind of get uh, humbled or thrown to the ground and you just say you did that, you go out and you did that wedding and you just feel like you, you failed at it miserably, you know. Now, the person who just fails and, and gives it up, uh, they're probably not going to go too far. But that person who fails and says, you know what, I can fix this. I can move forward. I can get better. And they just love, because they just love photography. You know, it's their life. It's like the air that they breathe. They have to have it. And I find that those people who just really have a passion, whether they're talented or not talented, those guys really do well and, you know, uh, really use photography to kind of better their lives and, and provide incomes for themselves and to just be able to be more creative and uh, just uh, feel good about creating work that that represents them. Yeah, I think passion's a good word, word for it. The other thing that I, the other element is hard work uh, to to learn photography. A while ago, I want to be a little bit vague in how I describe this, I guess. Uh, I, there was a student that I worked with pretty extensively uh, on, on their photography. And this is a person who loved photography. I would say this person had a passion for photography, at least seemed to convey that. But the photos just never quite progressed the way that I wanted to see uh, from this student. I mean, they just never, they, it was never that epic shot that you see it and you say, oh yeah, that's just beautiful. It just kind of always stayed at that nice, but just not there, you know? Um, and I I worked with this this photographer in, who took a lot of uh, the online classes and things, and I just was never quite sure how to instill that. Then later I had an opportunity to actually shoot with this student uh, who came on on one of our uh, free photographer uh, photography workshops. And the thing that I noticed most was when it was 4 a.m. and it's time to get up out of the hotel and get there to shoot that landscape, this photographer wasn't so interested in that. And when it was, uh, you know, hey, you know, we can we can run up to this spot and we can get there before before the light. Ah, this photographer wasn't wasn't real interested in, in running in running up and getting there. And when we we're shooting portraits, you know, we'll shoot a portrait, but we say, ah, you know what? Let's bust out a couple flashes and then let's really make something epic here. Nah, I'm right. just going to shoot in natural light. And so there, there's nothing wrong with shooting in natural light. There's nothing wrong with feeling tired in the morning when you want to shoot a landscape. But often I find there are photographers who do have a passion for photography, but that passion doesn't always translate into the work required to get there. Yeah, you know, and I, I kind of liken it to uh, the same process as somebody earning a black belt in martial arts. And I, and I go, well, how does somebody earn a black belt? And a lot of it has to do with that regular training that they're getting from a master. Because, you know, my whole thing now, kind of my quote for 2016 is, if you want to be perfect, you have to practice perfectly. And I feel that a lot of people don't actually practice perfectly because they're not getting that rub against a master photographer to help them, to coach them on a regular basis, to help improve them as they're growing. Um, and so I think everybody kind of, if they're really serious about getting to a world-class level, they, they should really look into being mentored by somebody who's at that world-class level and help them on a regular basis, just like you would earn a black belt in martial arts. I think it's uh, a lot of it is the same exact process. Uh, I totally agree with that. And, you know, you can look at others' work. And the thing is, it, we all feel differently about our own photos. And it just has to do with, you know, kind of your approach to life and your, your self-confidence, the way you think about yourself. Um, I think this is especially true of guys uh, that we look at our work and we're like... I nailed it, man. Uh, and I, I think, judging from the comments that I often see online, there would be a healthy portion of photographers that think they're at that world-class <laughs> level. 
uh, that maybe aren't always there. Um, not all women, but many women are much smarter at this um, and are a little bit more self-aware of where they are in their progression as they learn. Um, and that's a very important trait. Uh, and I think that's why we see so many female photographers doing doing such great oh. work uh, is because oh. sometimes they are a little bit more self-aware. And when you are self-aware and you say, ah, you know, I can... I love my photos. I love that I was able to create that. I'm excited about that. But I do see the difference between this and what Scott Robert Lim is creating. <laughs> um, and once you're once you're able to see those differences and kind of fall out of love with your photos and see them on their face for what they really are, uh, it really helps your work to to progress. Uh, once you're able to identify what that difference is but if you just love your stuff you're you're blind to that difference and if you don't see the difference you don't know what to change and like you said a mentor is an excellent excellent way to to see that difference quickly you know go to improvephotography.com we have you can get one of the hosts of the improved photography podcast to record a 10 minute audio segment reviewing your photos for 39 bucks like we have always offered that service that like makes no financial sense for me to offer because i think it's so important Uh, go on one of scott's workshops go to a conference and you know go to one of the presenters and say could you please sit down with me for five minutes and look over my portfolio uh there isn't yeah. much you can do. Uh, there is no blog post you can read that's going to help you progress more than just being able to see your work for what it is in that instant in time and see what the difference is, what changes need to be made. That's an excellent suggestion of, of getting your work critiqued and evaluated by somebody who is at that master level because um, you need to know where you are. And sometimes uh, we have a lot of us, I mean, everybody, we have to be humbled. I mean, we have to come to this point where we just say, oh, man, we suck. You know, we have to have this I suck moment to move forward and to improve our photography. And I think that's so important for growth. So you're so right about that. Well, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week. Um, And my doodad for this week is the DJI Phantom version 4. I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the podcast that I was returning my DJI Phantom version 3 um, because I I bought it. And then within the 30-day return window, uh, I saw the, the leaked information that the Phantom 4 was going to be announced. And it has disappointingly the camera hasn't really been changed on the dji phantom 4 and i i really would say that the the camera quality from the dji phantom 4 is pretty much on par with what you're going to get from your iphone the the quadcopter itself is so powerful the technology is incredible the camera is really pretty mediocre um it's fine i mean a cell phone camera can do amazing things but if you're wanting dslr quality you're just not going to get it uh, from the DJI Phantom. However, it's you know it's thirteen hundred bucks, and you're getting an incredible piece of technology uh, that can definitely help you to see in a different way. What the DJI Phantom 4 does add is obstacle avoidance, which is so awesome. I mean, quadcopters are pretty dangerous, especially when you're learning how to use them. And everybody's got to have their first flight, right? And everybody that I've ever talked to that flies quadcopters has crashed, uh, where you get a little bit too uh, too confident in your abilities and bam, you're running into the tree, crash it in, <laughs> the, in the lake. I've done that. Uh, I've crashed it into houses. Uh, you know, Just when you're feeling like, I got this, is when you crash. And so what this does is it has five more cameras around the, the, the quadcopter, and when it senses that it's getting close to a person, a tree, or whatever, uh, it will automatically drive away from them so it doesn't crash, uh, which is a very, very cool feature. So I am excited by this. I think I'm going to hold off with the DJI Phantom 4 and I'm going to wait for the next iteration of the Inspire series. Uh, that's the $3,000 series from DJI. I think that's that's going to make me a little bit happier. I, I just need that image quality, I feel like. Um, and for my real estate photography, I'm just using the old painter's pole still. 
I'm just uh, attaching the camera to the painter's pole, lifting it up high above my head. And really, that's about the height you want for most houses anyway. And for the acreage properties, I'm just going to tell my clients, sorry, I'm not doing um, the quadcopter photography right now. Um, there have been some changes over the F at the FEA that uh, legally make it uh, iffy anyway. Um, so we'll see what, what happens there. I'm going to kind of hold off a little bit and see uh, where we go. Well, Jim, woo, that is some doodad. Well, some I'm going <laughs> to go a little bit less. My doodad is like $20 or less. And <laughs> so you're it, saying you could buy like 20 <laughs> of your 20 of yours for one of mine? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. If you've seen my work, um, I'm a very old school guy. I mean, all of the lighting that I use for my uh, particular photography, I only use manual flashes, a video light, and this is my doodad, a shoot-through translucent umbrella. And that's really the only diffusing type of apparatus on my lighting that I use on location. And it is so handy. It's so quick to put up. I mean, like compared to a softbox, I always like in cla class when I'm teaching, I said, well, how long does it take you to put that softbox together? Oh, five year, minutes, 10 minutes or whatever. So when you've got to shoot through an umbrella and you can just open that up in a matter of seconds, you're going to use it if you need to. Whereas a softbox, you're in the crunch of time and you look over there and go, oh, shoot, am I going to take five minutes to put that together? You're probably not. And so I use, I love using the shoot-through umbrella, not only to diffuse video light, but to diffuse flash, but also I can use it as a reflector. Um, I could put it on the ground with a flash and I could get some nice up lighting and it's so versatile, it's so cheap. And if it starts to rain, you're covered there too. So anyways, that's my $20 doodad of the week <laughs> that I use constantly. Well, and that's an excellent one. Uh, you know, I have owned every lighting modifier you can imagine, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the strip boxes and the right. beauty dishes and the everything. And, and they all have their purpose, no question about it. But I, I included on my lighting in a flash tutorial the uh, I took a picture using you know a strip box, a, a gridded soft box, a regular soft box, a small soft box, a big soft box, a beauty dish, and everything. Uh, took the exact same portrait of a person, and I mean when you actually see the difference between the lighting modifiers, we're talking tiny. We're talking about yeah. tiny differences uh, between them, and sometimes that's important if you really want to get it in. Those right. are useful tools. But I'm with you, like. 95% of the time I'm using a small, uh, medium sized softbox or a shoot through umbrella. And if you know how to use those light modifiers, well, 95, 99% of the looks that you see online from awesome flash <laughs> photography, you can really recreate just fine. Definitely. Well, Scott, it's been awesome talking with you. Uh, thank you for coming on the on the podcast today. We look forward to talking with you more in the future. And uh, we will see you listeners in another seven days. But we want to leave you with Scott's website. You can get at Scott. Let's see. Scott, what is it? Tell us. Tell us your website. Uh, you could just go to scottrobertla.com. scottrobertla.com. Uh, that will eventually lead you to everywhere. My portfolio, you know, uh, my workshops and all that kind of stuff. And also, I, it's my blog, so I kind of give tips on photography there also. And do you have any upcoming workshops that people can take a look at? Um, yeah, I do have one um, that I'm doing in Santa Monica. It's going to be an all-day workshop that I'm going to talk a little bit about on-location photography and putting it all together, you know, composition, posing, lighting, and how it all works together to create those awesome images. And actually, if you live in this, if you go to Santa Monica College, it's uh, you get a discount. I think it's like $12 or something like that. If not, you can get an all-day pass for $59, which is a great deal. Um, and I, I can spend all day with you and tell you a lot more about my philosophies on lighting and composition and posing, et cetera, et cetera. And that's going to be March 26th. March 26th. Well, great. Definitely take a, take a look at that. I mean, these are pretty economical uh, prices for some of these workshops and you're getting world-class instruction. So definitely something to check out, scottrobertla.com. Thanks for joining us, Scott, and we will see everybody in another seven days. <laughs> <laughs>